0: We are entering a new age An age demanding greater collaboration Enhanced creativity Heightened agility Welcome to Agile and Beyond A podcast for agile enthusiasts Design thinkers Team builders And organization designers With practitioners and thinkers We explore the future of work the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience and purpose. I am so excited to share this episode with you finally. After several weeks of false starts, I was able to get my two special guests, not only in the same city, but also in the same room. In a wide-ranging three-way conversation with Jesse Perlman, Agilist and Customer Success Manager at CA Technologies and former U.S. Marine, and my business partner, Michael Richard, a business transformation consultant and former intelligence officer in the British Army, we discussed leadership leadership style comparisons servant leadership leadership crises raising and supporting servant leaders in a corporate world and a leadership in government and now welcome to my discussion with michael rochard and jesse perlman
1: dan what was it about leadership that prompted this conversation what's important about leadership to you and um, I
0: I think there's a deficit of leadership. I think there's a deficit of leadership in 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 society mm-hmm. and the nation, the corporate world, mm-hmm. um, the political world, and mm-hmm. I and I believe that this neoliberal uh, architecture that's, that's been put in place. Mm-hmm particularly through these trade deals um, reduction huge reduction in corporate taxes mm-hmm. this it just seems to be it's a it 's a, it's a society today built completely on self interest not on creativity and collaboration and thinking about what is my role as a mm-hmm. corporation and how do i how do I contribute or hurt or harm mm-hmm. the, the the community in which I was uh, born from right it's kind of like i i started in this state i do whatever i want and as soon as i get to a certain point if it turns out that the labor's too expensive Mm -hmm. in in, where i'm living i'm just going to pick up and and move my factory to Mm -hmm. to mexico or china and i don't have to i have no um no responsibility to, 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 to the community from which I, I came from.
1: Now we're playing with perspective because anybody who's leading that business is going to make the best financial decisions possible for the survival of that company, right? Um, so we have to understand different mindsets. In general, I agree with you. There's a deficit of what would be um, real leadership, visionary leadership, of bringing a nation together or um, healing a group of people by saying, this is the direction we're going to go and we're going to make it all right by going in this way. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Um, You know, that's... What we deal with, I believe, from uh, what's going on is in this economic disparity, which we have, where those who have can continue to get more, it is an avarice behavior. Um, It's capitalism unchecked. It is not leadership by any stretch of the imagination. Um, The problem with it is that that money funds everything that then gets them what they want. Uh, it's, it's, It's the lever that moves everything. Money is the price we pay to survive and we need money to survive. And it's always a matter of scale on survival. So when we talk about leadership and fixing these kind of greater problems, we're really talking about something that is one, necessary at a ground swell level, all right, grassroots individual leaders who are changing the way um, people view the world, interact with the world, um, relate to corporations, relate to law, relate to government, and we're seeing it. Uh, Occupy Wall Street was uh, an, uh, an eruption of that kind of groundswell movement, and it caused consciousness across a greater plane. So we're starting to see these changes. What we're witnessing as... Um, The the results or the, the, the effects of these changes is a rupture or a disruption in our own political system, our own economic system because of the economic disparity. And more and more people are far more aware of the truth of what's happening. So we're going to get this change, but it's never going to be that one person who steps forward. It's thousands of individuals who are leading the changes at the grassroots level. What is that kind of leadership? Well, within our current system, it's all based on AB. We don't have C's. We don't have other options. It's win or lose, Democrat or Republican, make money or go broke. When you have an all or nothing mentality, there is no room for collaborative behavior because you're, you're focusing on a lack. There isn't enough for everyone, so I have to get as much as I can. That's an old survival behavior. But this is coming down to, I would argue, the architecture that this
0: is. The system has been architecture. The propaganda that we've been oh, that's been certainly. pushed into our brains has put people into this either-or mentality. I was, sure. I was getting into a. Uh, I was going back on a couple of comments with a gentleman on LinkedIn about that. It's, it's this, this whole idea. There was a meme there. It was something like um, something about. Y- you you can't be filled by a jo- a job can't fill your soul, but a but a venture can, or mm-hmm. something like this. Yeah. And I I was like, um, why can't both? You know, why? Can, and and why does it have to be a job? Job means that it's an obligation. Why mm-hmm. can't it be something for which you're passionate about and mm-hmm. that you actually really care about? And on top of that, it's something where you see. That you're serving some group of people. And I think this is where where the leadership has been lacking. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 been small L leadership for the past forty years. It hasn't been big L leadership in the sense that leadership is truly visionary, it's it has foresight, it's thinking mm-hmm. about the community, about big-picture issues, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, quote, small-letter leadership that we've had for the past 40 or 50 years has been
1: selfishly myopic it's not and just leadership. thinking about themselves. It's not leadership. To call it leadership is, is, is an absolute misapplication of the term. It's all management and survival. It's not leadership. The, the last, okay, look. I'm going to step out and use a name and, and get political and say I believe President Obama has been a leader for our nation. He's done a lot to put a vision in place that a lot of people believe in. Um, he's you know changed or helped uh, mitigate the public opinion globally of America. He's done a lot of good things. Okay, so that is visionary leadership. The problem is it's within the broken structure of a very janked up for pay. We look. We have lobbies. We have PACs. Mm-hmm. We we allow corruption. Corruption is legal. It's legalized. Citizens, Citizens are, United, and, right. and none and of innocent. this is leadership. None of it is leadership. Leadership is what works against it. Bernie Sanders is a leader. Um, Hillary is a leader. You know, Donald Trump. Well, I would not call him a leader. So, you know, it, when when we talk about leadership, we have to understand that what we commonly apply as a term, leadership, is not true leadership. That's. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a purist on this one. Well, I would
2: venture to suggest that it's a little bit more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. I would say that in the corporate world, you have not all, but for the most part, the corporate mantra is greed is good from the from the Wall Street movie, Gordon oh, Gecko. Yes. Oh, yes. But what they're doing is that they are actually serving, but they're serving the shareholders yes. who are telling them what to do. Yeah. And because they're focus purely on the shareholders, they're not actually looking at what would be best for the company. Mm -hmm. You know, the short-term profit is one thing, and the big salaries that they get is one thing. But long-term, I'm not sure that any of these businesses can survive on the way they operate. Um, My business, one of my business partners who lives in New Zealand, his son works for a company that teaches people coding skills mm-hmm. they learn how to do websites and they learn all that stuff and then once they've graduated they are offered a position within that company mm-hmm. becoming a teacher so it's, it's a straight job now this company and four others in the wellington region mm-hmm. have formed a consortium called Inspiral, and what they do is they all contribute money to Inspiral, and they have a non-compete clause They do not compete against each Mm -hmm. other. If somebody in one of those companies is let go because they're superfluous to requirements, one of the other companies will have them. Mm -hmm. They share information Mm -hmm. and they work for the common good. And because Mm -hmm. of this, all of them thrive. And Mm -hmm. they're not the same business, they're in different areas, but they have a collaborative system that works incredibly well for everybody. And it's a very successful operation. People are motivated, people Mm -hmm. are energized. Whereas in a in a in a situation like Verizon, where the CEO takes twenty million dollars a year home, uh, which is disgusting, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want his employees to have more than minimum wage, mm-hmm. which is even more disgusting, oh, yeah. you know, there's no leadership there. It's no. just soulless greed. It is, it and is. this might be controversial, and prob- I'm sure it is, but. America is heading for a revolution that is just as violent as, will be just as violent as the one that happened in Russia mm-hmm. or in France. Oh, yes. Because the excesses of the rich will mm-hmm. reach a point where they are so egregious that the people will rise up. And we're already seeing it. in oh, yes. you know, In a very definite way. I mean, not violence to the point of death, but
1: Donald Trump. Uh, Incites violence everywhere Mm -hmm. he goes. It's the truth. There's a, uh, I I forget his name, he's the guy who started up Amazon. Um, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's one of the only oligarchs who's standing up and saying, we need to fix the economic disparity for the very reasons you just pointed out, Michael, which is the French Revolution. They will rise up with pitchforks and torches and kill us. I don't want to die. And that's exactly where we're at. Uh, Capitalism left unchecked is a rapacious system, and that's what skewed our whole government, is capitalism left unchecked. We've deregulated the hell out of it so that it can go do whatever it wants. Money, 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 money. Greed is good. It all started back then. It did. But here's the other thing. The corporate philosophy is I can
2: only win if you lose. That's correct. Now – I operate a business and I've done so very successfully for a lot of years, mm-hmm. and I only want to win if everybody else wins. Correct. Now, because of that, it's a different mentality, it's a different approach, and you're looking f- to find a su- solution where everybody can benefit. Yes. And when everybody benefits, everybody benefits in a much bigger way mm-hmm. than just one person benefiting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I agree. Um, collaborative, first of all, studies have shown that anything that comes together in a true collaborative decision lasts far longer than any other decision-making process. Uh, the, the, the resonance just remains because it was everyone who was collaborating together. So you create this cohesion that exists. Uh, the, the, okay. You know, let's get into corporations. You know, you're talking about this wonderful collaborative group uh, um, in Wellington, in America. You know, I think I mentioned this uh, before. We're in the corporate. We're moving. We're we're starting to come out of the corporate feudal structure, which is how I see it. Agile is changing that. We're starting to watch the larger ones tumble and crumble because these smaller. Um, Distributor, uh, not distributors, but disruptors are showing up and taking the piece. You know, Microsoft for the longest time it was all there was was Microsoft, 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 and then Google gave you every gave you everything for free. You know, here's Sheets, here's Docs, here's this. You get the free email, you get all of this. That started to eat into Microsoft. Microsoft has to become more responsive to the market. When they start losing their money, is when they have to evolve. And when they start to evolve, they've got to go to the agile behaviors, which means constant review and constant adaption to the market so that you're maximizing the value that you deliver because you're listening to your customer base who owns the money. I'm not sure that Microsoft has got this. No, they won't. Not for a
2: long, long time. Because Actually, every, time, every time they buy a company... Mm -hmm. They literally destroy it. They've just bought LinkedIn, and I don't hold out any hope for LinkedIn survival. And Skype. uh, Skype is a
1: classic example of another solution that was perfect that they screwed up. So long as LinkedIn gets me my next job, I'm okay with it. Um, (laughs) Microsoft may have been a a bad pick because they're such a megalithic structure. They're going to take a long time to finally die. There's going to be the, the Tyrannosaurus rex, the last one with its foot in the tar pit, still screaming, Rah! before it goes. <laughs> um, but the truth is, is that it's an archaic structure that cannot evolve and will die in time. The problem is, is that they continue to fight to exist past their evolutionary end point. That's the problem. Well, th- And they're allowed to. Th- th- I would say that's, that's partially
2: true. But I would also say is that they have such a desperation to get to market mm-hmm. that they release programs that, and solutions that are not even close to being ready.
1: And they can. They yeah,
2: can afford to. but they shouldn't. To. No, they should not, but they can afford to. I mean, I don't know whether, whether this is true or, or whether this is an apocryphal story, but I tend to believe it, is that when Windows 2000 was released, mm-hmm. there were, guess how many bugs there were that supposedly Microsoft knew about, but still released it. I have no clue over 46,000 bugs in the code. I mean, what sort of irresponsible moron would sign off on releasing that?
0: Well, I actually have have some personal uh, um, experience with with regard to this. I was working at an international law firm, and essentially the two main applications that they would use in the IT department, that the lawyers would use, were, um, I guess, what is it, Outlook, and then... uh, Word. Mm -hmm. Of course, they had all these templates. They they used Outlook and Word in very customized forms, and just adding some new version of this, it took the company like six months to to kind of go through on a weekly basis to deal with these bugs. And we were we were sort of a beta site, but the responsiveness from Microsoft was eh at best. At
2: best. Mm -hmm. I mean, I you know you mentioned Google Google Mm -hmm. Documents. Well. I've just started using Google Sheets and Google documents and
1: I'm never going to go back to Microsoft right? Word. Ever. It's so much better. Ever. Yeah, I, my, I, So I was at Rally, and then we got purchased by CA. Rally was a complete Google shop, right? Macs, Googles, you know, the really great technology. A CA showed up and said, we're getting rid of Google. We're getting rid of Google entirely. You're going to MS Suites, and they don't run on Macs, and it's killing our productivity, mm-hmm. and they're not going to develop for Mac because why should they? They're their primary operating system owner for all PCs. So they, ha, you know, they rule a market, and that's how they continue to survive is that they get by with huge discounts on crap. We lose customers on a regular basis to, well, we're a Microsoft shop, so we get all this for free when we bought this one thing. Of course, they're going to continue to survive, but the nimbler and the faster people are eating and edging into their market on a regular basis. You're never going back. I'm never going back unless professionally they make me use Microsoft products. Ever going back.
2: No. And you know it comes back down to also the difference between PCs and Macs. I'm a long-time Mac user. I Mm -hmm. hate PCs. Mm -hmm. I use them when I absolutely have to, but as far as I'm concerned, PC stands for piece of crap. Right. And IBM stands for I've been mugged. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But my first consultancy gig was working in London developing a database solution for one of the big stockbroking stockbroking institutions. And they their analysts we ha- were tasked with produce helping to produce the monthly report that got sent out all to all of their mm. s- investors and they had a system where they would copy and paste some word into something else and then they'd bring spreadsheets into it and they'd put this document together and you know and it would take eleven days to compile Oof. And so we built a system that compiled it in thirty two minutes nice <laughs> but What was interesting was, in this department, they had a hundred different analysts, all of whom were using PCs, Mm -hmm. and while I was there, they brought in a guy who was a real hotshot from another company, and they headhunted him and wanted him really badly, Mm -hmm. and he said, I'm only coming if I can bring my Mac, and you can forget about it otherwise, because I'm not going to a piece of crap. So he came in, they said yes, he came in, he puts his Mac on a desk, and within a couple of days there are people lining up wanting to use his machine when he's not using it. Within, and they had three full-time PC support people. Full-time. Mm-hmm. Just supporting that department. Mm-hmm. Within three months there wasn't a single PC in the place. They're an all mat shop. They've mm-hmm. got one support guy who comes in Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the productivity went through the roof. And, and, but the, some of the managers are going, oh, I miss the old PCs.
1: Why? <laughs> <laughs> so let's this brings it back to leadership. We I mean these are two classics, right? You know, you're talking about PC and Mac. Where was the vision on PC? There never was a real vision. It was just to get something out. All right, the original vision was to make personal computing possible. They did it. And then they had nothing after that. Nothing. So they just flung a bunch of crap around. Whereas look at Steve Jobs and what he did. There was a clear vision. There's always been a clear vision. Make the tech not just accessible and performant, but intuitive. Make it easy to use. Listen to the user base. Make It's a very clear difference between having a vision as a leader, a consistent and constant vision that keeps everyone aligned, and losing vision after having accomplished your first real big thing. I think
0: it, what was the vision something like to help creative people, uh, to help them bring their their vision to the world. So create tools that help individuals and teams bring their vision to the world. Right. Since essentially that was the vision. But this
2: actually brings up an interesting interesting equivocation or parallel is that I think you can compare the PC to the Mac Hmm. as leadership to non-leadership because if you're using a PC... There's no, there's no imagination, there's no thought. PC users typically use two programs: word and word and Excel, mm-hmm. and maybe entourage, whereas the Mac user will be using seven or eight different programs all at the same time, mm-hmm. and just multitasking and, and being free to, mm-hmm. to be, have the computer be the tool
1: that they're using right. instead of the boss that they're right being used by it's freedom versus a cage you're absolutely right um you know when you look at command and control that's what pc is a pc is a command and control system it says you will use us and you will use it this way and you will use it in this sequence and in this fashion and if you use it in any other fashion other than the sequence you will run into troubles whereas a mac says hey you go out and you go figure out how you're going to get there i need you to do this one thing however you get there that's cool i'm going to help you get there that's it that's it. There's no other boundaries other than this is the direction you're supposed to go in. That's called trust. Command and control, no trust. That goes back to corporate. Corporations don't trust you to do the right thing which means for the corporation to maximize the dollars that you can make. When we talk about humans doing the right thing, that's helping out an individual. So that's in direct you know, conflict. So it always comes back to what's the focus, what's the mission, what's the vision, and what are you trying to accomplish? Leadership is always about enabling a person to do what they're supposed to do with the least amount of interference possible. Right. And interference is not only from management
2: and other, other, team pl- other people in the team, it's also from the technology they're given to use. Yes. Because if the technology is inefficient or it's fragmented or or it requires any of the sort of the common problems that most businesses have, then people can't do their job properly because they spend half their time trying to figure out how not to get this screwed up Mm -hmm. or it's so screwed up they can't figure out how to get to it. And the classic example, and this is my pet peeve on the planet, is I actually believe the spreadsheet is the worst single piece of software that's ever been foisted on the business public. A lot of people really love it, from my understanding, yeah, they do, and they will defend it to the death, and you can show them categorically <laughs> where where it falls down in relation to a database.
0: You can prove it oh no no, and, no i don 't disagree with uh, that no, but there's a lot of people that
2: yeah. i 'm saying this they, they, they will defend it to the death mm-hmm. every time I release a video about spreadsheets or I write about spreadsheets and databases. I get hate mail from Excel users. You don't know what you're talking about. I go, yes, I do. If you'd like to give me a clear example of where a spreadsheet is better than a database, I'll be fine to talk about it. But please send me one. Not one, ever.
1: I you know I I agree I don't like spreadsheets because it tries to quantify everything. Screw it. Not everything can be quantified, not everything can be calculated, not everything can be known.
2: Well, I don't dis- I don't agree with that.
1: I think in a database you can you can All right. do, you can
2: All do, right. do that. Put the gloves on. But here's the problem with with the spreadsheet. and This is a very simple example. A lot of businesses are used to using Spreadsheets to send out invoices. They Mm -hmm. write a spreadsheet on invoice. Mm -hmm. Now, this means that every single invoice is a separate document Mm -hmm. that you then have to file in a complex hierarchical filing system, Mm -hmm. and it takes a while. And then you have to pull that, that Mm -hmm. open that invoice, etc. Now, but I love my workbooks. Right. But if if I say to you, okay. Jesse, who's your best customer and you're using an invoice, spreadsheet invoicing system? You're going to know who your best customer is. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to know who your best five customers are this year. Mm -hmm. But if I said to you, Jesse, can you tell me how much dollar volume each of these five customers (laughs) did? What percentage of your total revenue do they represent? And what products are they buying And when? There is no way on earth that you can give me that information without going into those spreadsheets and doing a, da- doing a massive
1: analysis. You can't do it. Yeah, and I would be the wrong person to ask because I would be like, I, 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 I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but but
2: that's but here's, no, now, I we're coming, now we're coming down to yeah. leadership okay. because in leadership, you must care what your bottom line is. You must know where mm-hmm. your business is coming from. You must know where your mm-hmm. business is going. You must look at the data in order to be able to make good decisions. And you if you're not doing that,
1: you don't have leadership. You're mm-hmm. just a drone, a useless mm-hmm. manager. It's the truth. Look, you you need transparency. Transparency allows you access to all the data that you need to make the appropriate decisions. It allows you to respond the moment something changes because you see it all. Whenever you have a closed system, you don't have leadership. You don't. There's no desire to share that information because there's fear ruling. When the moment fear enters the landscape, then people start making decisions based solely on themselves. And they're going to compartmentalize the information to ensure that they don't get in trouble for what they're doing. So that's why most corporate systems are very siloed, very structured. I, I, look, I had a I had a manager come up to me and thank me the other day, and I was pulled into an, a separate room to be thanked. But that's the corporate structure that I'm in. Okay. When you do that, it means you're you're, you're siloing the information. You don't want if you don't recognize somebody publicly. It means you don't want everybody to assume that they're going to get affirmation or to get recognition. It's a negative. It's a work. control tactic. Exactly it's a psychological right. Psychological control, and this comes back to a point that you
0: were making earlier, and we Michael brought up with the example of what's happening with Wellington, uh, mm-hmm. this, this and spiral. In Spiral, this—I mm-hmm. I don't know what they would call it—a group. It's a collective. It's a collective, a collective cooperative. Yeah. It, it's very similar to the, the Basque cooperative, yeah, the, the Basque Internet, the, the Mondragon International Cooperative. It's, it's, it's a very successful organization, mm-hmm. and people, like you said, it's exact same rules. You, if they, if one of the businesses they're making washing machines, if that business no longer needs X number of workers, they find a place mm-hmm. in somewhere else in their cooperative organization for those other people yeah, to, to do some Because it's a win-win
2: work. situation mm-hmm. and when it's a win-win situation, everybody is motivated as opposed to, oh, I'm going to get screwed here. Right. Now, it's it's go, all just, rewards. Just go back for a second to the, the power of data analysis because mm-hmm. here's a really good example. Mm-hmm. Back in the early 90s, I ran, we talked about art earlier, and mm-hmm. I ran a very big, very successful art gallery in Las uh-huh. Vegas. $12 million a year Bigger than this entire library in terms of art space. Mm -hmm. We had 117 different artists on display in Mm -hmm. the gallery at any given time. Now, I wrote the software, and we recorded every single sale, and we recorded the time of day. Mm -hmm. And when we analyzed that after three months, it told us that the best day of the week for sales was Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and the best block of time was between 3.30 and 5.30. Now, there is absolutely no way that you would ever... Spot that without looking at the data because mm-hmm. it's such an anomaly, and we right. had no idea why it was. So, we, as a manager, what I said was okay. The late shift, which normally leaves at four thirty, early shift, which leaves at four thirty, mm-hmm. I want you to stay on until five thirty, mm-hmm. and I'll pay you overtime. Mm-hmm. And the early shift, that comes on at four thirty. I want you in at three thirty, and mm-hmm. I'll pay you overtime. Now, so in that optimum sales period, we had doubled the salespeople. Mm-hmm. Did that make a difference every single week? No, of course it didn't. Did it make it often enough to justify the extra time and mm-hmm. having people? Absolutely. The other thing we looked at, we had 1991, we're paying $27,000 a month base rent against mm-hmm. 7% of our, of our mm-hmm. turnover. Big numbers, big numbers. So we've got a cost It's easy enough to calculate on our minimum how much every square foot Mm -hmm. of wall space costs. Mm -hmm. So we ran a calculation within the database to say, okay, artist A is using 22 square feet, Mm -hmm. and that's costing us X number of dollars per month, and after a 90-day settling-in period, if they're not generating three times the revenue, three Mm -hmm. times their cost in Mm -hmm. revenue, they're gone. It doesn't matter how much we like them, it doesn't matter anything except for the bottom line. Right. And we would rotate artists out like just crazy. And and the owner of the gallery would say, Mike, what are you doing? I like this work. I don't give a shit what you like. It's gone. Hmm. I can't sell it. We can't sell it. We can't afford to keep it. Right. So those are two things that unless you, without detailed and careful analysis, hmm. you would never spot. True. And that comes down to leadership.
1: Yeah, it does. And transparency. Yeah. 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 It does, and it comes down to wanting to understand the full range of the environment that you're in and optimize what you're trying to do for the maximum output. It's not, and this is what confuses me, is people don't understand this. If we work together, we can get to there a lot quicker than if we're working against each other for the same goal. And that seems to be the case more often. This is the culture of anybody can lead. It's not true, it's not true. We hire people to be leaders or managers who have no inkling of what it truly takes to inspire people and motivate them and keep them on task and get them into a high performance space and make the company profitable and have happy employees. We hire people who are in fear. We hire people who come from a traditional corporate background of you can't trust the employee, they don't understand anything. Well, that's because you hired idiots. We're not idiots anymore. This is the problem of anybody can lead. No, not anyone can lead. Well, there was a. There was, you
2: remember we Dan and I sat down and we watched Michael Moore's movie Where to Invade Next. Mm. I haven't seen it yet, but it's I've heard wonderful brilliant. things about yeah, it. Yeah. And there's one bit where he's talking to a factory in Germany, and in Germany, by law, half of the board of directors has to come from the shop floor, from the employees. Brilliant. Brilliant. So they're talking to one of the executives, and this is a pencil making company,
0: Faber pastel. Faber Pastel. Yay.
2: And, he's, and and so Michael Moore says, well, why do you listen to the employees? He says, because they come up with good ideas that we would never think of because we're
1: not on the floor. It's the truth. It's the truth, yeah. This, is, this comes back to Agile. Agile empowers everyone in the process. Everyone. Uh, see, okay, so software development, classic waterfall, right? You know, we have this great concept and we'll spend two years building this bloated piece of crap that when it hits the market, nobody really wanted hmm, joy, we're not making money. How do we fix that? Common sense stepped in and said, listen, you're trying to get something out in a particular time. Why don't you let us build the minimal viable product of this, right? And we can review and inspect and see if that really is valuable. And then we can build what the customers want after that. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds, that sounds odd, but we can try that. How do we do that? Well, first of all, you got to listen to your developers. Because they're going to tell you if what you're trying to do is even possible in your code base or not. What, what do you mean I have to listen to them? No, you have to really trust them. What? Why should I trust them? Because they know what to do. Oh, am I going to go to, I don't know, uh, a firehouse to get a taxi? No. I'm going to go call a taxi or get an Uber. You go to the people who know what you want to get done. That's just common sense. And much of leadership really is about common sense. It's about seeing and applying what you're witnessing quickly enough to make sure that you're still advancing towards your aims. People get locked into this concept of if it doesn't equal dollars or if it doesn't equal the vision written on the wall, it doesn't work. And that's wrong. That's management. That's not leadership. This is my bone to pick.
0: No, I agree. and I, But I think that the... The problem in the system is what you're, what you're advocating, mm. and I'm in total agreement with this agile mindset, mm. is in direct opposition to the corporate structure. Yeah. The corporate structure is not democratic enough no, to not. support an agile environment. For example, in the Mondragon Corporation, mm-hmm. who hires whom in the corporation? The employees actually hire the manager. Mm-hmm. The employees every year actually make actually meet mm-hmm. for three days to decide whether to keep the current CEO or to hire someone else. Hmm. That sounds like should, how our democracy should work. Well, some argue that we will never have a democracy unless our
1: workplaces are democratic. It's true. It's true. I, I agree with that. Um, and we're moving towards it. Here's, here's. This is where I get conflicted in all of this, is because I see both worlds equally. I see what's dying, which is the classic corporate structure and our classic corporate democracy. Um, it's dying, and all we're witnessing, all the flailing, all the that we're hearing more and more conversations about these problems means that the change is happening. We're finally tired of it so we're starting to shift it's just it's not going to happen quick and if it does happen quick that's the revolution we don't want yeah well there's different <laughs>
0: kinds of things i mean we can look for example lgbt rights mm-hmm. and, and gay marriage i mean mm-hmm. that was like barely a trickle of of any i anything going on in
1: that in that realm and then all of a sudden all 50 states because you know, boom, it, it popped into the public consciousness in a way it never had before through social media. Well, that's going to happen with this. Well, this idea is, that's as what's well. happening. Yeah, that's exactly what, what's
2: happening. I just finished. I'm read. Haven't finished it yet. I'm reading a book called Bold, which if you haven't read, read yeah. it, you need to get it and okay. read it. Is that P- Peter, Diam- P- Peter Diamandis? Peter Diamandis, who, who founded the X Prize, who's a mm. space age entrepreneur, and Stephen Kotler, who's a writer and researcher and found a member of the human genome project Mm -hmm. and the premise of the book and this is absolutely fascinating is that we are now at a time in history where it is possible to start a business in your garage Mm -hmm. and build it into a billion dollar business in a few years and the the example they gave of an industry that that has done this is 3d printing yeah but 3D printing is way more than you think it is. And this is the most fascinating story. So the guy who invented the technology spent years and years refining it, mm-hmm. created a company. The company was about to go bankrupt mm-hmm. because they couldn't innovate fast enough. So they hired a guy from outside who was an innovator. And within a few years, and I think it's like four or five years, mm-hmm. that company is, gone, is now worth $6 billion. Mm-hmm. But it's where they're using 3D printing that is mind-boggling. The space station is the most expensive resupply situation in history. NASA has to stockpile millions and millions of dollars of spare parts, and then when they need one, they get it to the space station. It costs millions of dollars to get it there. So now the space station have 3D printers, and they print the things they need when they need them. Okay, that isn't even where it's gone. Mm-hmm. In space, they can print objects that they cannot print on Earth mm-hmm. because on Earth, on gravity, yeah. they would collapse under yeah. their own weight. Okay, Now, that's absolutely brilliant, yeah. but it, that's only the beginning of it. The technology is now so advanced that if we decide to colonize Mars, Mm -hmm. we send two spaceships. The first Mm -hmm. spaceship has one guy or two guys with two 3D printers. They get there, they print the habitat, they install it, put it up, and by the time the second ship arrives, it's all built from a 3D
1: printer. That's awesome. Isn't that (laughs) mind-boggling? I love it. I love where we're at now. Uh, You know... I live in science fiction, you know, from my youth. Look, I can pull out my phone and say the name of any band, movie, book or anything that I'm interested in and get a result and probably be able to purchase it. Uh, I'm an instant gratification kind of guy. I love this place. So this is what I love about our technologies is that we are in an expansion right now. Uh, I mean, what we're seeing scientifically is almost a revolution in discovery across a huge spectrum. And with that gives me great hope because you know what? A lot of what they're focusing on is how to fix the bigger problems right now, and that's really the only conversation we should be having. And where the leadership is truly breaking down, um, you know, we have the global summit every year, you know, isn't it every year on 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 our climate issues, and we still can't get all of our countries to agree that there's a problem globally. So there's a complete almost failure. almost
0: not almost. I think almost all of the Republicans in Congress are Denied. climate deniers. I mean, what, is that, what, well, does that it, ta- what does that say about leadership? It actually yeah. says that they're, they're bought and paid
2: for by, by corporations
0: that are
2: climate destroyers. Yeah. Or they're troglodytes. Care, who don't care mm-hmm. and you know, are
1: not looking to, to the future of their children, which is staggering right the iroquois Nation, um, there's a there's a company that actually um, they call themselves 7th generation and they're, bio, they're 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 organic biodegradable they're be, because they they founded their company on the iroquois nations principle of you make no decision until you can understand its impact 7 generations now, weren't we talking about decision-making earlier? Now, you have to understand, is it, when we talk about decision-making, if you are talking about a crisis situation, you have to be decisive. But you also have to be decisive and forceful in a bigger term. You have to have that vision. It comes back to what we were talking about. Right, right. And, and uh, the gentleman, Chris Avery, he does a lot of leadership training. He does a lot of you know, how to uh, create high-performing teams. And the nugget that I walked out with, which is the truth, um, is any high-performing team has a clear and unifying goal and everything's a matter of scale our nation lacks a clear and unifying goal we don't know what america is anymore we don't have a leader who can step forward and say with clarity who we are we're not who we used to be which was a blue collar nation of roughneck rebel you know underdogs that conquered the world We're not that anymore. We're rather more sophisticated and we don't understand our role. And technology has really screwed up our culture. Not that we had a great depth of culture, but it's screwed up what little we have. We're starting to see normalization around acceptance, which is fantastic. LGBT, gay marriage. Hey. Whoever you are is cool. The problem is, institutionally, we're still very much broken. And the voice that we're hearing again and again through social media and things like Occupy Wall Street, this is my optimism, this is what I see and and respond to, is the change is coming. Millennials don't work for the same reasons we do. Millennials work for community. They look for what's lacking in the world now, Mm -hmm. what they grew up without, because our families were destroyed by the corporations, the need to work so hard. We find millennials are willing to work to uh, live in in in, uh, in hostile like environment, To sacrifice
0: hostile. to sacrifice some some
1: to get a sense of community
0: to 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 yeah to be connected. It's, yeah, it's it's the commune living all right. over again. But it's
2: that collaboration. Is okay. Look, you got your space and I got my space. But if you want to come in my space and you need to hang out, hang right. It's like this, because in the corporation, I firmly believe, and I have never deviated from this that i like to make money as we all do Mm -hmm. but money is not my motivation Mm -hmm. my motivation is providing a service doing a good job and i get compensated for that and that's the way it should be Mm -hmm. because if
1: i do a crappy job i shouldn't get paid right i agree you know gone is meritocracy The, the 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 sense of producing something of quality look i i love to help people i understand that this is exactly how i'm wired i am a helper First thing I think of when I meet somebody is what can I do to help you? So I find jobs that pay me to do that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's aligning what your what your talents and skills are to where the where the values are that you're going to get paid for. That's a business. We have to have money, but we can do it better. We can do it far better. Uh, you know, we talk about corporations. We all want immortality. Right? I think it's all evolution. We all strive to survive as long as possible. The problem is, is that they found a system that they could rig, where they can artificially, sus- uh, you know, uh, ex- extend their lives. They're on artificial life support. They have free tax. You know, re- you know, they can buy whatever they want from the government. We need to stop doing that. I think, look, we celebrate the birth of a corporation, right? IPOs. That's how we view a celebration of the birth. You made it to your first year. Yay! Everybody gets money. What we need to do is set up a mechanism that says it's okay for that business to die as well. So from the day it starts, it also has a secondary fund called the inheritance fund. So it comes to a point where this business can no longer legitimately evolve itself in the market. It's going to die. When it recognizes that it goes into hospice, it's going to allow itself to die and then that fund is then split among all the remaining employees at its death. That money cannot be used to extend or to start another company with you know the same kind of people. It can't be used to extend the life of the corporation. It's given to the individuals. If they want to go start their own business, they can. This rewards the employee for staying, for loyalty, which we no longer see anymore. It shows the corporation is being responsible to itself and recognizing when it should Kevorkian and benefiting those who were there in hospice at the end. That's a natural life cycle. It's just like our parents true but
2: unfortunately then you get the corporate raiders people like mitt romney who come in and oh, sure. strip the strip the corporation bare oh, yeah. put it into bankruptcy leverage with debt and then everybody
1: except for the the people who you know who behave like well romney in, in my perfect world our our <laughs> revised government has amended all of these laws, these loopholes, and fixed the, you know, corporate rating, okay, we have predators, there's predation, sure, but it's artificial in corporations. If you look outside, look at all the leaves of grass, look at all the trees, they're all in competition, but they're not choking each other they're not shooting each other in the head they're not burning the ground under which you know the other grass or trees grows no there is enough it comes back to the collaborative nature there is enough if we all can understand that then we can all work together the problem comes from we think there isn't enough and it's kill or be killed well it was like what is the 90s or the 80s Mm -hmm. in the 80s when the
0: the the disparity between what the the CEO was mm-hmm. taking home in mm-hmm. pay versus what the average worker was taking home in pay. It was maybe only ten or twenty, ten or ten or so times the difference mm-hmm. in in the seventies or something, and now it's three hundred times difference.
1: Because we got into, because, the, and of
0: course, of these multinationals have gotten so large.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's the greed is good. We we detached from. Um, You know, it used to be corporate loyalty, right? We used to get hired by a company and stay there the rest of our life and then retire. And then the economy changed, and corporations had to survive, and the first thing they went after was the pension fund. And the other way to survive was to start really capitalizing on stocks, and more and more people became publicly traded companies rather than privately held. And when that happened, they were beholden to, as Michael said much earlier, the bottom line of the people who invested and, and no short longer... Term. And they short term. They
0: couldn't behave like a, like a, a privately owned family company. Where you're like, we're, go- we're in this... For the
1: long haul. For the long haul.
0: We're going to go through some bumps and everything. When you but have to
1: pay money out every month, when you have to pay out shares every month, you have to make sure you're making enough to pay those damn shares. See, this is interesting because I
2: would never, at least I don't think I would ever, take a company public... Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to have some idiot telling mm-hmm. me what to do or how to run it. Right. I'd rather make less money and be able to use my vision and my morals and everything instead of listening to some greedy asshole who doesn't have any clue what he's talking about. Right. Well,
0: well the way to align the the pressures with the, int- the interests is to do what these cooperatives do, like Mondragon. The only shareholders are the workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not employees. They're members of a cooperative. Yeah, that's a much much better situation. So basically, I'm not going to... If you're in a cooperative, are you... And you vote, make it take a vote. Are you going to vote as a manufacturing operation to move your your manufacturing op- operation to Mexico? <gasps> are you going to vote to bring in robots that are going to replace your job? No, you're not going to do that. You may bring in robots to enhance the function of your job. And this comes back to the AI and the te- mm-hmm. technology. I'm a little with all of the huge problems we have in the world: un- underemployment, unemployment, an anemic economy. Environmental destruction and all this kind of stuff, and now AI—it's now becoming an AI bubble, like it was the dot-com bubble. It's like what? What? It, we're gonna we're gonna bring in machines to replace even more people? Well, I I think you're exaggerating to to a large degree. I, I don't know. I mean, we, look at the look at the look at the look at the motivation. I worked at a factory automation company in in, in China. I worked at Tyco Electronics, and it was always the the calculation was always how much is it going to cost what is the return on investment to produce this global production line and if they could buy if they could justify it was you know this is going to be produced for 5 years it's going to produce this many tens of thousands of units and we can buy this machine and it can replace these factory workers that are demanding higher and higher salaries and mm-hmm. they're going to just go off at any point in the middle of the of the work year and go back to their uh into the hinterland and not
1: come back after the spring holiday you know this is no different than any other revolution industrial technological or anything we always have disruption there's always a lowest level of worker that's going to get displaced and then there's a new lowest level of worker uh, i've been reading a science fiction series called the expanse by uh, james a corey i believe his name is and it's science he does he has his science behind it so in there he he makes a statement about. The grease monkey on a spaceship is literally a rocket scientist because that's the lowest level of labor, but he has to have a high level of education to work on a fusion reactor. So we have to think that as we evolve, that lowest level is always going to be coming up. Yes, robots are going to replace certain functionality, but there always is going to be a need for a human to do something somewhere. There always is, always has been, always will be. When we talk about this displacement, what, what's happening is that we're disrupting without thought. If we understand that what we're introducing is a disruption to the market, then we know we can approach it differently. So our government took a very interesting approach to this with coal. Mm-hmm. We no longer produce coal, but we disrupted that, and we did it slowly, and we did it in a way, and we did it with programs that re-educated them to the solar recycling. Not all of them. You look everybody. at what's
0: happening. You look at the, these impoverished uh, uh, yes. counties in West Virginia. Yes. I don't think, that, and now they're, they, they were like, already
1: um, impoverished. Yes, yeah. they haven't got any worse. <laughs> they and that's I better. think they have. Well, there's no, a they, they haven't. They that have, money never that. stayed there, man. That money never stayed there. Look, if they, were min- if they were mining, they were spending their money on oxycodone to mm-hmm. continue mining. It was a depressed economy. It was a slave labor force. It was the only mm-hmm. thing they could do to earn money. Mm-hmm. It was the only thing in their neighborhood. So what have we really done? I don't think we've really disrupted much. You know, What we disrupted was the industry yeah. that didn't mm-hmm. want to be disrupted, that threw up. Oh, look at all the poor people. Bullshit. You keep slagging the top of mountains off. You're destroying our environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's the dirtiest energy source we can find. There's got to be a better way. And we did that quite calmly and without much of a furor, And it happened. It was also,
0: it's a, we're also beyond peak coal. So it's gotten more and more, you know, from the corporation's perspective, well, now, it got yes, to the point where... The amount of profit they were going to make from any of that coal, it no longer made any sense because they they had to go deeper and deeper
1: and deeper to get poorer and poorer quality of coal. It was a combination of events that came together, but what I'm talking about is you have to have forethought in what you're doing. If you're focused just on greed, sure, you're going to disrupt people's lives horrifically Mm -hmm. with this technology. I can't say where that's going. I mean, I, I honestly can't, but... I think it's just, when we talk about AI, what we're looking for is, what I believe primarily, is a way for corporations to take advantage of all the metadata that's out there. They're looking for something that can read and diagnose trends far faster than humans can in a way to be able to penetrate markets ahead of everyone else. Well, There's a company called Rocket Fuel which is in the um,
2: advertising and marketing business and you run a campaign with rocket fuel or you run multiple campaigns and their AI software is analyzing every single campaign, millions of transactions a second, keeping track of what click through rate you're getting, Mm -hmm. what conversion rate, where it's coming from, all of that information. It's all AI software. Mm -hmm. And that enables companies that are using services like this to move their advertising dollars to the best mm-hmm. available marketplace mm-hmm. for them at that moment yep. and if facebook isn't working well today we'll move it to twitter and tomorrow we'll go back from twitter to facebook, facebook. because facebook's yep. picked up yep. so that is where yep. that's uh, where the money is that's where the money is but that's also empowering businesses because if you take that data and you can use it properly, mm-hmm. you can transform your business beyond all recognition. Certainly. And you're doing it in a non-harmful mm-hmm. way. It's just this is what the data is telling us. It's and serving written, your industry or your market far better. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with you that. You know, and the other thing is that as a company using one of, using other services like this you know exactly what return you're getting for your advertising dollar. Whereas you put a TV ad, you mm-hmm. can't measure it. Mm-hmm. If you put a newspaper ad, you can't measure it. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. Dan and I were having a, a, a conversation and he disagreed with me somewhat heatedly because what I do is make businesses more efficient. Mm-hmm. And I don't put people out of work. Mm-hmm. I just free them up so that they can be more efficient and Correct. more productive. Correct.
0: Now, in, in yeah, well i came i i i came lo- around at the you you you, you, did, you, the, you phrased it in a certain way that i sort of but, so bought into said to me but, 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 yeah.
2: you know what you're doing is so this company you're potentially going to be working for they won't need to hire six extra people if they put your system in place and i went that is true but those people aren't working for that company at this
1: point right now anyway <laughs> so I'm not doing any harm, I'm just saving, saving money. My argument would be, by maximizing the efficiencies of that company, you're not only freeing up time, but you're going to free up more money for them to be able to hire six more people with as they innovate and get more successful. That's exactly right. They become more successful,
2: therefore they... Right. Hire, but they're hiring people at that point out of real need instead mm-hmm. as of desperation. Administrative but, I need lead. bodies
0: to just handle this. Exactly right. Because basically you're replacing repetitive administrative tasks. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. people that they would be hiring would be uh, operating at a more strategic level. Yeah, everybody. Or yeah. strategic slash creative yeah. level. I mean, the, right the, the
2: classic cases, if you... If you go to work for a company and you know that Monday morning, every Monday morning, you've got to go in and you've got to spend four hours filing papers for last week, oh, no. you're not going to be happy. You're no. not going to look forward to go to work. No, no. But if I say to you as a manager, okay, look, we decided we're not going to bother with this filing because we've got it on the computer. We don't need it. So Monday morning, the four hours that you usually spend doing that, what? can you do that will benefit the company
1: that you're good at yeah well I've noticed that there's been a lack of blah 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 we're talking about creating realities maximizing the potential of your employees to maximize the value of your business when you when you allow your employee to create the reality to be an active participant in the business itself in a way that goes beyond the role then you've just engaged them in a way that you're going to keep that person as a loyal and willing collaborator to so your success on a regular basis. It's just human nature. If I say to you, I want you to work four hours less every day on a grueling task and fill it with things that you think are going to be valuable to this company, and then show me what that is, how are you going to feel? To feel great. Right. And also,
2: and, and also, and if you've got an idea for something, run with it. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, come back, let's discuss it. Let's figure out what didn't work and then let's adjust oh. and move it. But there's no blame. I'm not gonna get pissed because it didn't work. I'd rather have some have you try something and then let's
1: move on and analyze it and go where we can go. Inspect with it. and adapt and no ego. In other words, innovate, take initiative, take risks. If you fail, come back, we'll figure out why you failed and we'll move forward from there. What I've ever said as a leader to my people is make mistakes. It's how we learn. Just don't make the same mistake twice if you can help it. If you yeah. make it a third time, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. And try not to make too expensive. Try to make, when I, don't you make them, it. I don't care. You don't care? I how don't expensive care. I do not care. How are they going to learn? I, 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 there was a. Well, what, we, some mistakes can be so big that they can end your operation. They Okay. So it's a matter of of calculated risk. It's always going to be calculated risk. But the question is, is what your environment is and what time are you using? We were doing some training in the Marine Corps way back in the day. And I had the staff sergeant. He was a peer of mine utter control freak absolute micromanager his marines loathed him and they were out doing something with one of our fuel bladders a great big 20,000 gallon collapsible bag rubber impregnated canvas they were blowing it up with air and he was standing next to me and he was fuming and he's like they're gonna run it! and he was just he was just <laughs> absolute he was apoplectic he was he could and I grabbed him and I said listen man what happens when you give somebody a ball and they drop it he says well you wait for him to pick it back up i said yeah Let them pick it back up. It's a training exercise. If it breaks, that's the purpose. How else are they going to learn? Things have to get broken. You have to allow people to make mistakes. If you don't allow them to make mistakes, they will never venture forward. They will never be bold. They will never try anything. You limit their potential and their value to you and themselves. I work with people who have been institutionally abused regularly, and it is enlightening to them to hear no please make a mistake what 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 that alone that little liberty alone changes their life changes their life we we limit people all too often no is the most favorite word it's the first word most kids learn no it's what they hear the most Start saying yes to your employees. Start turning it around. Empower them and watch what happens. It changes everything. The moment as a leader you start to look into your people and understand what they're really trying to do with their life, you can align that into what's going on in the business, guaranteed every time, and get them to help grow your business while they them as individuals grow and expand. As a leader, I'm always looking for the person who can replace me, period. Well, here's an, here's an interesting point
2: for you. I actually believe that meetings, traditional corporate meetings, are a complete and utter 100% waste of time. Yes. What I believe is you have, you bring everybody in, you say, okay, we're going to have a brainstorming session. We're going to talk about this one thing, Mm -hmm. this one thing only, and it doesn't matter if we're done in two minutes or it takes an hour. Mm -hmm. But I want everybody's feedback. Mm -hmm. I don't care how crazy
1: you think your idea Mm -hmm. is, voice it. Yeah. Because you never know where it's going to go. It's the truth. No one person has that idea. It's always a synthesis of all these different ideas when finally one person goes, you know what, I think I got it. And it suddenly comes up and it elevates everybody. But when you have everybody involved, it it, it changes everything. It's the cooperative, collaborative nature versus this combative nature of, you know, I've got to prove that I'm better than that person so that I can get my raise it's not worth
2: it no and it you know that comes down to the mastermind group when you get when you get two people brainstorming you get a couple of ideas you get ten people brainstorming you get fifty ideas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and some of them are going to be
0: absolutely oh my god Mm -hmm. so how do we take these ideas okay no let me go back are we are any of these ideas being implemented in our education system right now
2: no the education
1: system is a complete and utter screw-up. <laughs> Look, the moment that your education system fails is when you start getting, oh, I don't know, tutor programs, uh, you know, they're regular after-school schools people put their kids into. Montessori is a completely different education program, but it's a cost program. Our uh, infrastructure education system is a by-rote education system that is not designed to teach critical thinking or Anything that expresses the individual as an individual anymore. It's not there. It's not. Is it but it's supporting the current corporate structure. When we have rote education, what you're doing is you teach people to follow whatever they're told. Which is the current corporate structure. Which is why people are afraid to make to, to fail, because
0: what they've learned in the past is, oh, when Bob or Sally over there failed, they were they were kicked out with their That's box right. onto the street. That's right. This but I, th-
2: but I think you, uh, as an entrepreneur, mm. I risk failure every single day. Good. I risk being on the street every single day. Good, because I can't live any other way. Mm-hmm. You know, and and yeah, there are times it's terrifying, and there are times it's downright depressing. But, but. As an entrepreneur, I keep just moving forward because I, because I'm not going to give up my soul for the corporate, right? Corporate
1: shilling. This comes back to my personal belief. Entrepreneur, individual, it doesn't matter if you're not passionate. You know, you have to and life is risk. Life is constantly moving forward and putting yourself in positions where you don't know what's gonna happen and trusting that you're gonna respond to it. So long as you're alive, you're winning. That's my whole attitude. The question is is are you winning with style? You know, are you are you (laughs) are you winning in a way that you're you're elevating everybody? I, I get I grew up with the whole I had to struggle for mine, so you're gonna have to fight with yours mentality that used to be in America, right? And I still think that goes on a lot today. We try, we limit people under this false concept of by putting barriers in your way, I'm making you a stronger individual. No, you're just limiting their success because you were limited. That's, that's, it builds character. It builds that was, character. that was what I heard always growing right? up. Builds it builds character. character, right? That's again, that's another negative leadership style. That's a leadership style. That's a brutal leadership style. But that's
2: the military way, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh. I mean, you know, you and I both went through basic training. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and, and you know, they just torture you. Yeah, um, there is some benefit to that. But mm-hmm. having spent six years in, in the military in intelligence, which I know is an oxymoron, <laughs> um, there, the, the the thing that I learned that was the most useful is how to touch type. Mm-hmm. Incredibly useful. What is that? Please, for,
0: please for the millennials. Can but, you explain what to touch type
2: able To be to type with all ten fingers. Oh yes, all your all your fingers and thumbs without looking at the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And I also learned how to pick locks, which has come in incredibly useful on a few occasions. <laughs> but other than those, is that why I'm missing that recorder? Yeah. That? <laughs> yeah. But if you if you lock yourself out of your car, I'm your man. <laughs> but but it was a lot of discipline, and mm-hmm. you know, and pe- there are a lot of people who respond really well to that structure, mm-hmm. but there are also people like me who, who don't, who fight it, and who find a way to get around it, and, and mock the system. I mean, the crap that I got up with, got away with when I was in the army, mm-hmm. I would have probably got court-martialed or shot in another, in another army or another mm-hmm. unit. Mm-hmm. I learned how to push the envelope as far as I could push it, mm-hmm. because that was my way of rebelling against the stupidity.
0: <laughs> There's a cat out there.
1: Yeah, I like cats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I spent 15 years in. Um, <laughs> I, like I said, I have a slow learning curve. It took me that long. I wasn't really cut out for it. Uh, the thing I heard the most was Perlman. What are you doing in the military? And <laughs> the the truth was is that I didn't understand. I had an ability beyond. The Marine Corps. I was raised. Um, I was raised through benign neglect, in essence. Uh, there was no no one proactively put me in anything. So when I went into the education system, I was very smart, but there was no teachers there who were going to work with me because that's not what our education system is there for. That's what your parents are there for. <laughs> so. When I got to the Marine Corps, I ha- what it gave me was the discipline that I never got from my parents, and it gave me an ideal that it never lived up to, which was leadership. <laughs> it gave you an ideal which they never
0: lived up to, but okay. Mm-hmm. So do, do what I say, uh, do what but, I say but don't not do it. Do I I do.
1: A classic one in the Marine Corps is you don't walk around with your hands in your pockets, right? It's just not cool. It's not done. You don't do it. But you would see leaders in the Marine Corps, leader, quote-unquote, corporals, sergeants, officers, walking around with their hands in their pockets. Well, you as a lower rank, you can't walk up to them and correct them. You should be able to, in theory, under the ideal, but you can't, right? But apply this in leadership in a greater perspective. Look, the Marine Corps taught me traits and principles. They've refined this. They've been working on this for a long time. They gave me an ideal and replaced, or Basically, I imprinted on it the way I should have through a parental structure of mother and father giving me guidance. And, and then I watched no one living up to this ideal. Justice, judgment, tact, initiative, enthusiasm, dedication, um, oh, uh, uh, initiative, discipline, uh, bearing on selfishness, courage, knowledge, loyalty, and uh, enthusiasm or endurance. I forget which one I said. Those are the leadership traits. Right? And when you work with them all together, and I used to train my Marines on this stuff regularly, religiously. It was my Bible. But no one else really lived up to it. Because in the truest sense, a leader is a servant first. I wanted to get, you're going where I wanted to go here. Okay. Well, if you don't,
2: and the truth of the matter is that if you don't give
1: more than you get, you won't get a lot. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I've been telling people all my life, they're like, you know, what about trust and respect? You have to give it first before you can ever get it. I'm going to give you respect and trust when I first meet you. And through my own integrity, I'm going to earn that back from you. But because I gave it to you first, you're already inclined to give it right back. What did it cost me to give that to you? Nothing. But there's so few people who will do that on first meeting. Trust and respect from the start. Is it fear, security? It's abuse. It's fear. It's insecurity. It's being hurt. It's any one of a number of self protection. Yeah, self protection. It's always self protection.
2: One of the things that I always try and do, and I've said Dan and I've had this conversation many times, is I always try to connect people. Mm -hmm. I I don't do it for any reason other than you two guys ought to talk. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got some commonality there. Maybe you know who knows. And but I don't look to get anything out of that other than just. Hey, these guys should talk right and who knows where it where it goes and because i've always been a connector and it's just a part of my nature, the benefit of doing that is just astronomical, mm-hmm. you know it's like, hey I need I know who might be able to help right. me with that, and they go, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. I, that guy you met me we've done a ton of business together mm-hmm. with, so You've got to look beyond yourself in business Absolutely. and in personal life and, you know, and everything and just see how you can mm-hmm. be of service. And, and that's the key thing. You know, it's, it's not about and I'm not making myself weak or being inferior by mm-hmm. wanting to do that. And this is what
1: I think people are afraid of. It's the classic, uh, you know, um image of of strength versus vulnerability or, or weakness and and we do confuse it i think submission and vulnerability are the two greatest strengths you can ever bring to anything the moment you recognize you know nothing and that you're going to accept whatever happens you're in the perfect position to respond but the moment that you've got an agenda or you're bringing something to it you're in trouble and it is about giving it is uh, you know it, and it's without it's giving without expectation of a return really Uh, every day uh, i come out of my place i live in a condo and hoa and and you know you can't put trash outside the doors and i come out my door and my neighbors will put the trash outside they have kids you know stinky garbage late at night they don't want to walk it outside and there's a fine i don't think about those things i just pick it up and i take it outside and i throw it away because it's there why not it doesn't hurt me it's on my way and my neighbor came over and knocked on the door and gave me a six-pack of, of cider as a thank you for what I had done. I had saved him money. I wasn't even thinking about it that way. That's how life rewards your actions. That's karma, right? You know, we give good, we get good. We reap what we sow. There's truths in these things. When you give, you don't know what it's going, what, how it's going to transpire. But in one way or another, there will be a benefit in your life. But if you go about going, well, I've got to give to get a benefit, you've immediately broken the equation. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things that's really sad. I mean, you see
2: on the street, you see all these homeless people. Mm. And I I keep a, you know, a stack of $5 bills in my dashboard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I see somebody homeless, I give them $5. Mm-hmm. A, because I can afford to. Mm-hmm. And B, because $5 might allow them to get a bill. That's right. A dollar won't. Right. So and you know, people say "Well, you know, they're, but they're just going to throw it away on drugs or drink I don't care I'm doing what I can mm-hmm. in the only way that I can help them and whatever happens whatever they use that money for it's not my responsibility to worry about or be concerned or
1: care the what truth. they do with it it's the truth I carry every week I get 20 bucks I put a $20 bill in my wallet and somehow life finds an opportunity for me to give that $20 up as a gift, a tip or whatever it might be because $20 makes a difference in a person's life. You don't know, you just don't know. But I can afford it, easily afford it. And I know all the times in my life where 20 bucks could have made a difference. So I got no qualms with that. And I give unstintingly and willingly and freely because I've been given enough to do so. When you do that, you affect change daily in lives. Just by doing something so small with one person, you don't know how many other people you've just affected in a positive way. When we elevate someone, when we lift them up, when we appreciate them, thank them, give them a tip, help them in some meaningful way in their course of life, we've just helped everyone else in their life because their mood is improved. They're more inclined to be helpful. They're more inclined to help their friends and to do more and to be more present for the good in their life small thing has a huge impact but we don't tend to think this way we tend to continue to think about survival and fighting for what little we have when the truth is all we have is this planet and everything on it belongs to everybody and we got to figure out how we all share that equally and work together to fix our problems
0: well, yeah, and, and they say that the, the, when people are on their deathbed and they're, they're looking back at their life and, and they're thinking about their regrets, the only things that they remember are the relationships mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. It's all that matters is our human connection, and we've become so. Atomized from each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I we we were talking with um, Sean, my friend Sean Maroney. He's a, a technical educator, and uh, he's right now in Singapore, but he's traveled around the world, lived mm-hmm. in the Middle East. I met him in China mm-hmm. where he was teaching, and he grew up in in Boston, mm-hmm. and he just has no desire to come back to America. He just sees it after seeing so mm-hmm. much of the world of how in. Individu- it's not about individuality. Individuality is fine, but it's the individualistic. It's the. It's this. It's, well, it's, we're also isolated and lonely from each other because we're not reaching out we don't, I don't know what my neighbor thinks I don't know we, we, we divide by social class we divide by discipline I mean you see in the, in the corporation itself mm-hmm. with the matrix organization oh we don't talk with the you know the marketing people mm-hmm. don't talk with the software engineers and the HR people don't talk with it. it's, it's mm-hmm. these things have to be bridged we but need to is, learn from each this other
2: this is one of the sad things about today's political climate because mm-hmm. I'm a liberal I'm a I'm a Democrat and I'm fairly liberal in my views but I'm also extreme right-wing in some of my views hmm. but it used to be that as a as a democrat I could have a conversation with a republican we could we could talk yeah, we, would, right. we we could agree to disagree <laughs> but we would find somewhere where we actually had common ground Mm-hmm. Because we were both open to listening, mm-hmm. and now the political divide is so much: is you pinko lefty liberal oh. socialist, yeah. you right wing, mother
0: yeah.
2: and oh, yeah. you know, and, none, and and I actually think that the I think that the, the right wing Republicans are the, the more extreme rather than the, the the liberal Democrats. But there's this this just unwillingness to open your mind and. It's more like the emperor's new clothes. You mm. know, they kind of know that this is the whole system is completely and utterly screwed up. It doesn't mm. benefit them but they can't let it go. Mm -hmm. Because nobody in their right mind in any of these red states would vote Republican because Republicans never do anything for the people anyway. They only serve the corporate masters. Well, they
1: they stoke the xenophobic. uh, They do. They they, they fire up that which serves them best. But part of the problem that America has is this corporate, I mean, not this corporate, but this cultural myth that anyone, anyone can make it. Which means that everybody's walking around believing that they're going to make it, so they don't want to change the system in case they lose their chance to, to, to make it a, to become a billionaire. Right. I was actually, yeah, I was, I was, I was actually
0: driving in a car uh, some months ago, sitting next to a, a woman who's um, a student of finance, a master mm-hmm. of finance, and she, her whole way of thinking was this, you know, it's like well, why don't you just become a billionaire? You know, it's like that's the solution. Yeah. Like like as if we can all become billionaires yeah. and, and
1: then yeah. all our problems are solved. It's this ludicrous, <laughs> psychotic break that we have from reality yeah. is thinking that we can just, ta-da, I'm going to be a success overnight. But here's the reality. I wouldn't,
2: I'm never going to become a billionaire because I don't want to a billion dollars. I wouldn't no. know what to do with it. If, <laughs> if I made... I'd probably go if I, if I get, I don't know what my goal is right now, let's say I made $10 million and I had $10 million in the bank, i go, I'm done.
1: Right, I don't it's need enough. any more than that. What I would love to be able to do if I ever managed to somehow get there is to have enough money to be able to give away a million bucks to about 30 people. Yeah. And say, here, here's a million bucks. All you gotta do is make money with it and if you make enough, give away a million bucks. And if you spend it all and don't make any money and don't give away a million bucks, I don't care. I want to be able to, that, to do that with my money. I really do. Well, I, you know, there's a great, that movie, Pay It Forward. Yes. It's a great
2: philosophy. And I, I bought two, co- two, two people that I'm associated with. I bought, I bought them a copy of Bold. Mm. And I said, this is a gift for you. Mm-hmm. If you like it, buy a copy for somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. Simple.
1: No obligation. You don't have to do it, but I hope they will. Right. It's by example we start to change the world. And it's those daily examples of kindness and paying it forward that start to change that behavior. We're starting to see it. Look, I go back to the millennials because the millennials are – everybody is like, oh, the millennials, what's happened to America? There's a bunch of whiners and this and that. (laughs) No. What we're failing to recognize is that our culture has evolved. And the millennials are, are perfectly right for how they feel about things. Things are a bit easier. We don't have to struggle the same way. We don't go through the same lessons to learn the same things. But their struggles are completely different than ours were. we have got student debt out the wazoo. Right? We've chained them to something that they're going to lug around until they're in their 40s. And they want nothing to do with it. They don't know how they got here. And now the degrees don't mean, mean a thing. <laughs> So they have debt for something that's given them no reward, right? They work for entirely different motivations. They're, they're, they work for the day-to-day benefits because they understand eh, why am I planning for tomorrow? There's no fi- oh, pardon. There's no tomorrow.
0: And that they all I can think they're going to. They
1: all. They're and I also feel like I mean retirement. What the hell is that? what the hell is retirement? I'm g- basically going to work until I die. If exactly. that's 90,
0: I'm still going to be working. Yeah.
1: So the millennials and their desires and their wants and what they're after is not political correctness but recognition that's all recognition and acceptance of their condition and their place. But we hear it as they're whining and they want respect and no, it's not the same thing. And then we get into the, the whole sensitivity issues in America lately. I don't know if you've seen a lot of this stuff flashing around on the social media. Does this it. have to do with the political correctness? That, the, yeah, are kind of political correctness. To toughen up buttercup, it's a hard world, you know, you get over yourself, it's hard, you know, some people are going to use harsh language. And what we're talking about is not how the millennials or these young people are overly sensitive. Though in the college, it's a little bit weird right now. Um, the helicopter parents, oh that God. sort of stuff. Right. What we're at, what what they're what they're actually asking for is recognition that the world has changed. That they don't identify the same way as we used to with gender roles. They don't identify with. Or with life goals the same way that we used to. and that's all they're asking for is a different language when we, when we talk to them. Don't try basically when we were kids, we were tired of our parents treating us you know like it was when they were kids. That's all they're asking for, and social media exacerbates it, polarizes stuff as well. So we get into this: oh my God, all or nothing's, and it's that's not the truth. But the world has changed. I mean, these people grew yeah, up and seeing
0: massive changes. Well, see, seeing a situation where where their parents just were tossed out on the street by mm-hmm. a corporation. So sure. what kind of loyalty are these these Well, the, right? the
1: these truth of the matter is no, to,
2: there is no loyalty in business. No. There's no sense of you're a valued part of my of my. My family, you know, it's... Not,
1: not in the traditional places. No. This is where uh, agile uh, companies, startups that have this kind of agile nature win because they're building those cultures that, that is about loyalty and the people that you work with because that's really... I mean, when I got to Raleigh, I was like, I'm here for these people. I'm here for this culture. And when that shifted, uh, I, honestly, CA is a great company, but it's not agile. It's not that family that I had it's classic corporation and I'm out right and but there is the there's the the dichotomy in that a
2: company will acquire another company and then they buy it because that company is profitable or works really well and then they decide to integrate it into their own systems and they screw it up completely if which is learn. what microsoft does right. and it completely and utterly mm-hmm. they destroy it,
1: mm-hmm. it yeah, um, you know, it's the whole. If I eat the heart of my victim, I'll have their strength, without without thinking about it, right? Yeah, um, you know, CA when they came after Rally, it was it was conscious. It was for a specific purpose. They loved the platform, but what they were after was the culture. They were after the agility, that mentality, and they've they've used it. They've pulled it up into their development areas where they need it. Um, it has a value to them, but. In the structures that are not purely developmental, we've gone classic 1990s corporate Bushido where you are just a cog in the machine. And, okay, that works for 11,000-plus employees. You know, you've got a mandate and a mission, and I get it. I just don't work there. I belong in the frontier. I belong where there is just enough of freedom to be able to create the what's going to be best for the organization rather than being forced into a set of behaviors because that's going to be profitable. Yeah.
2: I mean I left when I was going I was like you I went to school and I was way smarter than the average kid and there was no 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 allowances made for that. So mm-hmm. I had to deal with the you know, oh my god, I got this three weeks ago. Could we please move on? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, so I was so bored. Mm-hmm. You know, and I left school at sixteen with no qualifications and you know, my parents were very supportive, but I thought, oh my god, you'll never make anything of your life. You know, how can you possibly just go into the world with no qualifications? Well, lived in six countries, found started and sold companies Learn five languages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Education isn't anything to to really write home
1: about or to lay claim to. You you touched on it earlier. It's critical thinking. And we no longer teach critical thinking. If you can teach critical thinking, then then you're teaching people to teach themselves, and they become self-guiding and self-directing. That's how you create leaders, by the by, is you teach them critical thinking skills so that they can make decisions for themselves. When they understand how to make decisions, then they understand how to lead people because they understand how it works. Critical thinking is the only way to really get leadership. That's, an, well, that, and that comes down to a good education system. Yeah.
0: No, um,
2: it's not, so, I don't think you can, in traditional mm. education, you
0: can No, I'm not saying traditional, I'm just a good education. Whatever that good education is. Well, it touches
2: it back onto what Jesse and I were talking about earlier chess should be taught in schools mm-hmm. as a primary subject not just a second not a game it should be taught as a primary subject as important as maths or english or mm-hmm. anything because it has in its nature the ability to teach people critical skills mm-hmm. problem solving analysis mm-hmm. structure all mm-hmm. of those things are on this game
1: mm-hmm. this board strategic thinking this is this term yeah. planning um. Short-term uh, tactics, uh, day-to-day activity—it's it, it, everything, it and d- it's the most agile game in the world. It is because you think about it. I mean, it really is. It's a
0: perfect example of agile because I've got this plan. Oh hell! Well, this is this is really interesting because um, Herman Hesse—he won the Nobel Prize for writing a work called *Magister Ludi*, the Master of the Game, or mm-hmm. the Master of the, the Glass Bead Game—and it was essentially how these people in this society learned thinking mm. learn critical thinking by learning to play this very sophisticated game mm-hmm. yeah um, I, I would like to throw out two quotes here and I would like to get your sure. your opinion on it um, Socrates said the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old but on building the new yes yeah absolutely I totally
1: 100 yep. percent agree with that it's always moving forward stop looking back so, are we are we doing that? Oh, we continually uh, build on the old. The, Everything is built on uh, a constitution that was written 200 plus years ago with minor adjustments. We we do not look forward. We are constantly trying to fix the problems rather than just move forward. It, it, that didn't sound right, but what I mean is we're constantly working with the broken crap we're constantly patching the same tire you can only patch a tire so many times before it fails so no we're not focusing all our energy
0: and we seem to i mean it appears to me that we too many too many children too many adults have locked into their head a mindset from a system that is 50 to 100 almost 200 years old Mm -hmm. and they're incapable of thinking of, alter- of alternative ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Well, they have no capacity. The majority of people,
2: I would say, and this is a big generalization, but I nevertheless stand by it. I suggest, su- suspect that the majority of people do not have much of an ability to think outside the box because they're conditioned not to. Correct they're They're punished not to well they're they're not encouraged to to come up with create Mm -hmm. original thinking they're not encouraged to think outside the box and until you start thinking outside the box you are limiting yourself to, to such a degree you know and people like us who do think outside the box we know that when we get outside that box we're in another box and we have to keep Knocking that box down Because the box never ends The truth So we just kick it down We keep continuing Mm -hmm. to kick it down Because we're not going to stop And sometimes it means That we think so far outside the box That people go
0: How the hell did you ever come up with that Mm -hmm. Okay so what is the existing box That we're dealing with Right now in this In this in this reality that we're in right now in this reality what is out- the box we're outside the box that the majority of corporations are inside okay but what is the box that, the, so what is the what are the boxes that exist right now and which fear. box do we fear is a box fear is a box fear is a
1: box uncertainty is a box mm-hmm. if you're talking about um, the box that's containing or perhaps limiting uh, america from moving forward in in our true sense and then, what you're dealing with is um, in my opinion <sighs> it started i'm going to use it i'm going to say it it's the military- industrial complex after World War II all right it all started after World War II. We had a great huge boom, our economy was going gangbusters, we had a huge industrial base. we had the largest middle class ever and The problem was, is that there wasn't enough to sustain it. Our economy couldn't sustain itself past a certain point. Everybody came back, but there was no war. Where was all this manufacturing going into? Where did all this... What was the war that ended the Great
0: Depression? No war, we would have still been stuck in the Great Depression, is Mm -hmm. one. How many decades have
1: we gone by without a conflict? It's basically capitalism exists because of violence. Military-industrial complex, All right? So, in other words, we created um, an industrial complex that needed to continue to work. They're luxury goods. Right. You know, you you shoot a bullet, you drop a bomb, Mm. it needs to be replaced. Right. Uh, So, it it is a way of constantly sustaining an economy if you need to. And that's the problem, is that is our go-to. Our corporations are, in general... Uh, and I hate using general terms because we're seeing changes, but the traditional corporations have helped create this landscape. They never wanted to die. They always wanted to continue to make money. How do you continue to make money? You create a market and the best market there, there is, is always going to be war. It. Generates new technologies. If you look at all the advancements that that are going into our health sciences, all right innovation now, comes from co- government subsidies through the military, right? For the most because part, because we've mangled so many bodies that we need to repair them. So now we're learning how to patch broken nervous systems, even. So war is a great, great contributor to, to technology and economy and all the. That's our box. That's our problem. Is that that's a Insightful. We're constantly at war, and it keeps the population down too. And it also focuses the masses external rather than inter- internally. Oh. Helps build xenophobia. Helps build xenophobia. Cla- there's, there's a lot that can go into it. Do you know why
2: we are? Why we're encouraged to buy property? Why we're encouraged to buy a house to take out a mortgage
0: to f- to fuel investment I guess no
2: it makes oh it makes the us docile. Makes, it docile makes a docile work-force, workforce geographically immobile, so it keeps people in the place they're in in the job they're in now that's changing because jobs. People leave jobs and they move to different parts of the country.
0: It's but the original sense intention for, yeah.
2: was that when you have somebody who's bought a mortgage, they're locked into that job and that company and that area and everything, and they're not going to move.
0: And it, and it probably worked uh, 30, 30, 40 years yeah. ago because uh, there weren't that many opening. People didn't move around that much, and people worked at one company for a very long time. So, Correct. Um,
2: but that's why... We have the, you know, you've got to buy a house. I don't want to buy a house. I don't want to be geographically mobile. Immobile.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I
2: mean, if I ever decide to buy a house, it's because I found somewhere I really want to settle. And I don't want to go anywhere else. But it won't be because for any other reason that
0: I'm happy there. Right, right. So are we going
1: Are we we still going? We're we gonna. We, we're still recording. Okay. So what, whatever. Actually, um, I
2: think this is probably a good point to, to call it call it a day because I, that's a lengthy discussion. It's right? been a long time. It's been a very interesting. <coughs> yeah. Point. Very interesting discussion. <coughs> I've had a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Yeah. So,
0: okay. okay. Cool. Yeah, we can stop it. I mean, it yeah. wasn't really a. But well, it just ends, right? <laughs> it's just a conversation. <laughs> <into the end. laughs> You know, we were having, having an interesting conversation. Everybody. And, and then died. Jesse, no <laughs> I you just say, we ended the conversation because Jesse went to the toilet.
1: You could. Uh, Jesse has left the he, building. He crapped, That's what I'll he say. He crapped all over the session.
0: <laughs> uh. This completes the conversation with my business partner, Michael Richard, entrepreneur and business efficiency consultant, and Jesse Perlman, Agilist and customer success manager at CA Technologies. I had a lot of fun chatting with them. If you would be interested in having me turn this conversation into a regular leadership roundtable series, please reach out and let Michael, Jesse, or me know. You can connect with Jesse Perlman on LinkedIn. You can learn more about Michael Rochard at Michaelrochard.com. that's R-O-C-H-A-R-D-E dot C-O-M, where you can subscribe to his blog and YouTube channel. You can also connect with Michael on LinkedIn. Stay tuned for these upcoming episodes. With Todd Galloway, Scrum Master with Square2 Financial, we discussed his successes and challenges with using Spotify's Squad Health Check, or in other words, Team Health Check as a retrospective exercise. The second millennial call was great fun. With four millennials, including one in India, and my co-host Gert Penna in Belgium, we explored What the Next Generation Thinks About Characteristics of Attractive and Healthy Workplace Cultures and Organizations. In part four of my discussion with Erica Lenz, scrum master and former evolutionary biologist, we chatted about what makes her unique, how a non-technical person adds value on technical teams, dancing, floor craft, and kinesthetic intelligence. In part two of my discussion with Chuck Durfee, Agile Coach and Development Manager, we examined the relationship between the Agile Mindset and a Montessori education. As some of you may have already noticed, agileandbeyond.co is currently under construction. Once it goes live in several days, please visit and subscribe to the Agile and Beyond newsletter. Thank you. You've been listening to Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other major internet radio broadcasters. Until next time, keep evolving.